This is the Aspen Public Radio Newscast. I'm your host, Eleanor Bennett, here with your top stories this Tuesday. The Carbondale and Rural Fire Protection District responded to the same structure fire twice this week, once on Sunday night and again early yesterday morning. Around 9 p.m. on Sunday, crews were dispatched to a chimney fire at a private home south of Carbondale off Highway 133. Firefighters were able to knock out the fire and clear the scene by 12.40 a.m., But around 6 a.m., the fire department was called back to the site where crews found a fire had been smoldering inside the home's wall. Fire Chief Rob Goodwin said it was a tough fire to address in a difficult location. There was heavy smoke and water damage to the structure, and the cause of the fire is under investigation. There were no injuries reported, but the residents have been connected with the American Red Cross. The Colorado Health Foundation has awarded $280,000 to a local nonprofit that's piloting a resident ownership model for mobile home communities. The Roaring Fork Community Development Corporation is a subsidiary of Manaus. It purchased Three Mile Mobile Home Park in Glenwood last spring with the goal of selling the property back to the park's residents. They're also helping residents set up a collective ownership organization. The goal is to sell the property to the residents by early 2026. The new grant money will be used to connect residents with other resident-owned mobile home parks, as well as advocates, financial institutions, and real estate experts who support community ownership models. At a special meeting yesterday, the Roaring Fork School District decided to maintain its current mill levy. That's despite increasing property valuations in the region that will cause a spike in property taxes this year. In a statement released last night, the school board said that they did not make the decision lightly. Colorado's per-pupil spending is close to 40th in the nation, which puts pressure on local school districts to find creative funding solutions just to provide essential services. The amount of funding collected from the local mill is combined with state funding. This year, the share of local funding at the school district will increase, while the state share will decrease. The board says if they were to lower their mill levy rate to reduce the burden on taxpayers, the state would also lower its amount, doubling losses for the district. The Aspen School District also approved its mill levy in a special meeting yesterday, according to the Aspen Daily News. Like Roaring Fork Schools, the district opted to collect the full amount available despite drastically jumping property taxes. Democrat Elizabeth Velasco of Glenwood Springs has a long to-do list in Denver when the state legislative session starts this Friday, and she wants constituents to get more involved in the lawmaking process and to make their voices heard. Caroline Yanez has more. Velasco joined fellow Democrats, Representative Megan Lukens of Seamote Springs and Senator Dylan Roberts of Avon in a virtual town hall to talk about the upcoming session. She explained the process of a bill being introduced, referred to a committee, and voted on before returning to the whole house for a vote, and then undergoing the same process again in the other chamber. Velasco also encouraged constituents to write emails and call her office, or come speak in person when a bill is being discussed in committee. You know, to me, it's always very uh, moving when someone from my district comes and testifies. And I want to know, you know, what, what our community wants and needs. Some of Velasco's priorities this session include protections for cultural regalia at graduation ceremonies and several bills related to wildfire safety and preparedness. Caroline Yanez, Aspen Public Radio News. 
During last night's town hall, the lawmakers also talked about water in the Colorado River, expanded passenger rail across the state, and how to work with local communities on affordable housing. They're planning amendments to a bill that would regulate the way short-term or vacation rentals are taxed. Local Latino advocacy organization Voces Unidas helped organize another legal clinic last week for migrants who are eligible for Temporary Protected Status, or TPS. The designation grants work permits and some protection from deportation. Hallie Zander has more. Carbondale's 3rd Street Center was full of new arrivals and volunteers last Thursday. Migrants from Venezuela were getting one-on-one advice from lawyers who volunteered to review their TPS applications. Over 150 migrants have arrived in the Roaring Fork Valley over the past few months. But without work authorization, it's difficult to find steady jobs. Attorney Jennifer Smith said the process requires a lot of paperwork. We're used to filling out these boxes and not really thinking about it. That is not true for most other countries, especially, I think, where they don't have a system, right? Like, they may not even register the birth of their child, right? It's just a very different engagement with bureaucracy. According to Voces Unidas, Smith and other attorneys helped 17 new arrivals submit TPS applications last week. It's unclear how long the Department of Homeland Security will take to process these applications. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Hallie Zander. In local arts and culture news, two documentary screening in Aspen tomorrow will shine a spotlight on athletes' resilience in the aftermath of life-altering injuries on the slopes. Kaya Williams has more about Aspen Film's Science on Screen event, which includes a conversation with Bridging Bionics founder Amanda Boxtel at the Isis Theater. This month's program will show a short film about sit-skier Trevor Kennison and a feature-length movie, The Crash Reel, about professional snowboarder Kevin Pierce's life after a traumatic brain injury. Both films focus on recovery and the athlete's acceptance of their situations. That process can take far longer than people realize, according to Amanda Boxtel. It is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Boxdell was paralyzed in a ski accident more than three decades ago. To go through the fire and come out the other side, I feel that many of us do have that, but we don't realize it or recognize it until we're in it, in the depths of challenge and adversity. Boxdell now runs Bridging Bionics. It's a local nonprofit that uses robotics and exoskeleton technology to help people regain mobility. She says tomorrow's program will also include a demonstration of that technology. Boxdell wants people to see that there's room for hope in the face of trauma. From the Edless Neeson Arts and Culture Desk, I'm Kaya Williams. In statewide news, former Aurora police officer Randy Rodima was sentenced to 14 months in jail and four years probation for his role in the death of Elijah McLean. McLean, a 23-year-old black man, died several days after he was detained by police in 2019. National Police Accountability Project Executive Director Lauren Bonds says she didn't expect a severe punishment for the convicted officer. You're looking at all these officers that engaged in pretty similar misconduct. And some of them didn't get convicted at all. 
I think that does in, in some ways indicate that there's not going to be, you know, kind of the maximum severe penalty up, applied to the one person who was convicted. Fellow officers Jason Rosenblatt and Nathan Woodyard were tried and acquitted of all charges in McLean's death, and two paramedics were convicted last month for injecting McLean with a large dose of ketamine. Their sentencing is scheduled for March. A wolf wearing a large GPS collar was spotted by a resident in Grand County last week. Todd Schmidt told the Fence Post News that he was driving to a building site for work when the wolf ran across the road in front of him. He took several photos of it standing on a rocky outcrop, and he says it was only about a half mile from a home and less than 10 miles from Highway 9. Schmidt doesn't support wolf reintroduction because he fears for his pets and his neighbor's livestock. The Fence Post reports that ranchers in the area haven't reported any livestock killings so far, but want more information about the wolves' locations. Some ranchers say this would help them plan ahead to protect livestock, but wildlife officials say they're keeping the location secret to protect the newly introduced species from harm. And in regional news, the whitebark pine tree is on the decline, and scientists are working hard to try to save the threatened species. Wyoming Public Radio's Caitlin Tan reports on some new research for the Mountain West News Bureau. Picture the tree line right before you get into the alpine. In the winter, there's massive snowstorms. The summer has a short growing season. And whitebark pine thrives there. But David Neal with the Whitebark Pine Ecosystem Foundation says the keystone species was listed as threatened last year. In some cases, it's complete decimation. You know, where there was a landscape of healthy trees, now there's nothing but dead snags. That's because of pine beetle and fungus infestation. So Neil and his team are collecting the tree's genes, everything from sick to healthy, to find the genes that are resistant to disease. This will take a few years, but it'll create a way to quickly test other white bark pine to see if they have the resistant genes. And if they do, then the seeds can be used to plant more. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Caitlin Tan in Pinedale. The Aspen Public Radio Newscast is produced by our news team, which includes Hallie Zander, Caroline Yanez, Kaya Williams, and me, your host, Eleanor Bennett. You can listen to the show every weekday morning on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.